please take your Bibles this morning and open to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the last two verses of 2 Peter this morning as I preach a sermon entitled Principles of Perseverance. Now, as we've already sung and as we've heard read from the scriptures this morning, um, we are going to be talking this morning about what it means to persevere in Jesus. The great news of the gospel is that Jesus holds his children, but that he calls us also to persevere. And that, in fact, those that do not persevere demonstrate that they never actually belong to Jesus from the beginning. As um, one famous pastor um, famously said, faith that fizzles at the finish was faulty from the first. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about what are the principles of perseverance as Jesus holds those that are his, and yet he calls them to persevere. And so, turn in your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, and listen to what Peter says in his final words here. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Now, Peter has written this epistle, and all of us know Peter. Peter, for many of us, is our favorite um, disciple, because like a lot of us, he tends to get his mouth out in front of his feet, um, he says things he should not probably say, does things that he probably should not do, and is constantly failing. But at the same time, um, he belongs to Jesus. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about Peter as we get into this text. Peter knows what it's like to fail. Peter knows what it's like to fall. In fact, as we've read um, this morning, as Brother Nick read, Jesus had told his disciples before his crucifixion, before his arrest and his trial and crucifixion, that they would strike the shepherd and the sheep would be scattered. They would all fall away and deny Jesus. And as we've heard earlier, Peter proudly and arrogantly replies that though all fall away, Jesus, I will never fall away. And if all others deny you, Jesus, I will never deny you. But we know what happened. Peter didn't just deny Jesus once, he denied Jesus three times in that very same night. But there's a tremendous part of the story that we dare not leave out. Jesus says to Peter in Luke 22, it's not recorded in Matthew where, where Brother Nick read earlier, in Luke 22, Jesus tells Peter something else. After Peter makes this arrogant, prideful assertion Jesus says this to Peter. He says, Peter, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. And he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. It's amazing that though Jesus knows that Peter will fail and that Peter will deny him, Jesus prays that Peter's faith will not fail. He prays for Peter's perseverance, and he goes on to say, when you 
have turned. This is the whole thing. Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now I find that very interesting. He prays for Peter's perseverance so that he can strengthen his brothers. I want you to note here in our text in 2 Peter chapter 3, when Jesus uses the word strengthen, Peter uses the same word for stability. Jesus says, when you've turned, strengthen your brothers. And Peter says here that you need to walk with Jesus so that you don't lose your strength. You don't lose your stability. So the letter of 2 Peter is the fulfillment of Christ's command to him that after he fell to strengthen his brothers so that they can persevere and their faith not fail. So this letter is, per, this letter is about persevering in the midst of persecution from the outside and the perversion of the gospel from the inside. Both of those are serious dangers to our perseverance. So as we look at 2 Peter 3, I want to give you three principles of perseverance as Christ hold those, holds those that are his and we persevere according to his command. So if we're going to persevere first, to persevere you must be guarded in Christ. Look what he says there in verse 17. He says, you therefore beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So we're to be guarded. We're to take care and be on our guard against these things. Now Peter begins by saying that these believers know something. He says, you know this beforehand. So they know something. And what they know is that there are false teachers who are distorting and twisting God's word to their own destruction. Because he just said that just a few, early, just a few verses earlier here in chapter 3. That's what he just said. So Peter tells them they know that. And now Peter, with a tender pastor's heart, he doesn't want his beloved to be deceived and carried away. And so he warns them ahead of time to be on your guard. Now here's the point. Peter knows, and you and I know, that when you understand and know things will be difficult, when you know that beforehand, when you understand the expectations beforehand, then you will experience the difficulty under a better perspective. And the New Testament is filled with warnings about the difficulties that believers will face. So Peter's saying, hey, pay attention. Things are going to be hard. I'm telling you this beforehand. Things are going to be difficult and you need to persevere. It doesn't do anybody any favors to tell them everything's going to be hunky-dory all the time. And then it goes really poorly and they lose hope. That's Peter's point here. Remember what Jesus said back in Matthew 7. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And, there, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is difficult that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So let me just go ahead and say here, anybody who tells you that following Jesus is all roses and puppies is lying. It is going to be hard and difficult. There's going to be pressures from without and from within to compromise the gospel and to disbelieve God's promises. And one of the reasons I trust the New Testament is because its authors don't live in a fantasy land. 
They don't try to sugarcoat it or pull the wool over people's eyes. They just tell them straight up. If you follow Jesus, that doesn't mean you're going to be healthy. It doesn't mean you're going to be prosperous. It doesn't mean that the world's going to love you and they're going to, ex- they're going to, ex- they're going to love you and, and take everything you say as gospel truth. Listen, there will always be difficulties and hardships and persecutions. So while, while there are all kinds of difficulties and hardships that can lead us away from Christ, Peter has two particular dangers in mind. There are two particular dangers facing the believers he's writing to that you need to know about. The first is the danger of being misinformed or misguided about the return of Jesus. Now, there were those false teachers there that were misleading the believers, basically saying, Jesus isn't coming back, guys. Just live however you want to live. Do whatever you want to do. Jesus isn't going to return. And what happens is that false teaching drove many believers to disbelieve Jesus' own words and lose hope and fall away. And so Peter tells them plainly in his letter, you can read through it this afternoon, that Jesus will return according to his promise and that believers should live holy lives in preparation for the coming of that day. Jesus is going to return. You have to guard that truth that no matter how bad it seems or how bad it looks, one day Jesus will return to keep his promises. But the second danger was the danger is the danger of a false teaching in regards to Christian living. To see these particular false teachers that Peter is addressing, they've been distorting Paul's gospel of grace. That's what they've been doing. Okay, they've been claiming that Paul teaches you can come to Jesus and live licentiously without any regard for God's moral commands. That's what the rest of Uh, the end of chapter 3 is all about. Now, this accusation, um, this accusation is completely out of bounds in regards to Paul. That's why, by the way, that's why Peter calls them the error of lawless men. It's the error of these men who are teaching lawlessness. They're saying, basically, that Paul, uh, Paul just says, live however you want because God is gracious and will forgive you. Now, this accusation of teaching lawlessness is something Paul faced all the time through his teaching ministry because what did he emphasize everywhere he went? He emphasized that you were saved by grace alone apart from the works of the law as we studied last week from Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. But what these false teachers missed was this little, this truth that came along with that. The false teachers missed the truth that Paul preached not only about the lavish saving grace of God but about the transforming grace of God meaning that the same grace you received is the same grace that works in you to give you a new heart and transform your desires for Jesus so that you will love him and follow him and obey him and so Peter is warning them and us that if we want a faith that finishes the race You have to guard yourself from these kinds of false teachings. You have to to make sure that you're not carried away and losing your stability, verse 17. So Peter here is saying that you have to guard your lives by guarding the foundation of the gospel that has been placed in your life. So just think about this losing your stability. 
Losing our stability is a picture of a foundation being eroded and eventually crumbling from under us so that the whole building falls. That happens, right? I know it happens in central Mississippi where I lived in college where water and rain would cause the clay there to shift and move and foundations would then crack and whole houses would fall down. It happens. Some of you here have had to spend money to have that fixed on your own house. Isn't that a fun time? It's like, hey, $50,000, I want to put that into my house and not get it back. Um, but it happens. And that's the point that Paul says, if, I mean, Peter is saying here, if you don't guard the foundation from these, from these attacks, then the erosion is going to crumble, the, the, then the foundation is going to erode and crumble and you're going to lose your stability. Now listen, Peter takes this word stability to make stable or establish and he uses it back in chapter 1. Look what he says there. In back, this is chapter 1. Just flip back to chapter 1, verses 10 and 12. Turn back to uh, 2 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. Look at what Peter says here as he connects um, verse 17 back to here. He says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. The foundation will stand. For in this way, there will be richly provided you an entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, that though you know them and are established in the truth, you have. You have a foundation in the truth. So the point is, be guarded in the truth of the gospel or risk losing your foundation. If you're going to persevere, you have to guard. You have to be a guarded Christian. You have to be guarded in Christ. Secondly, to, verse, to persevere, Peter says, you also have to be growing in Christ. It's not enough simply to guard the foundation. You have to be growing in Christ. Look at verse 18. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Paul, so Peter says, instead of being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, as James says, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Again, Peter picks up here on the theme that he opened his letter with back in chapter 1 again, verses 1 and 2, where he says there, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Savior. So he picks up on that theme, may grace... The grace and peace needs to be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So in order to persevere, we must continue growing in grace and peace. And both grace and peace are tied to our knowledge and experience of God through Christ. Peter says that grace and peace are multiplied in our knowledge so the question is, well, how do we grow? How do we actually grow so that we can persevere? How do we grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus? Now, let me just tell you again. Peter assumes that you know this. Peter assumes that as a reader, you know how to grow. Why? Because he's already explained it. He's already explained it in his letter. He said in his first letter, to these believers in 1 Peter chapter 2, this is what he says. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So how does Peter say you need to grow? 
He says, like infants, like children, you need to grow by the pure milk of the word. You have to bring God's word into your life and nourish your soul so that you grow up into the grace and knowledge of Jesus, grow up into the knowledge uh, and experience of your salvation. So the point is, we have to let God's word do its work in us. And what the Bible teaches us all through the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit works through God's word to shape us, grow us, mold us, and mature us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit takes God's word and uses it to shape us. Now, here are a couple of scriptures that all of us need to connect together for our growth in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. I'm just going to read you a few scriptures so you see this connection all across the New Testament. When Jesus was being tempted in Luke 4.4, Jesus says this. When Satan says, turn these stones to bread so that you can be satisfied and you can eat. Jesus says, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus says that his word is more important. His spiritual word is more important than physical bread to our spiritual lives. Or John 17, 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, Jesus says there, to his, Jesus prays to the Father, and he says, sanctify them, that means make them holy, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus prays to the Father, and he says that, Father, I want you to make my children more holy and more like me by the truth. So truth makes us sanctified. And he says, your word is truth. So let God's word do its work in us. In 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, this is what Paul writes to Timothy, his protege. He says to Timothy, he says, he says, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And then he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He tells T Timothy, you've known the scriptures. Timothy only had the Old Testament at that point. You know the scriptures. They all point you to faith in Jesus and they help you grow and be equipped and be mature. Or Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says this, he says, we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, that's what I'm giving to you this morning. He says that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So Peter said, Paul's saying, I, go into, I'm, I went into Thessalonica and I preached the gospel of Christ and you received it as the word of God and it's been at work in you since that day. That God's word does its work to grow us and mature us. So here's my point. If you are not growing and maturing in Christ through his word, then you are starving your soul of the milk and bread it needs to be sustained through difficulties, persecutions, and hardships. Listen, before anyone walks away from Jesus, they walk away from his word. I want you to think about that.
before anyone walks away from Jesus, there will be a time in their life where they have stopped spending time daily being nourished in God's Word. And Paul, Peter is saying, and Paul is saying, and the rest of the New Testament authors are saying that in order for you to persevere and grow and for the foundation to remain stable, you have to have a healthy diet of God's Word. It is not enough for you to simply come in here on Sunday and listen to me talk about three or four verses. You need to feed yourself daily from God's Word. That is how you grow. Imagine all of you gardeners and farmers, y'all told me to pray for rain. Imagine having a garden and never watering your plants. Do you expect them to be healthy in 110 degree weather this week? A lot of them are going to die. Sorry, honey. A lot of our plants are going to die this week. So I don't have to go out there and do anything with them. But the point is, you know it. If you starve yourself spiritually, it is no wonder that people fall away and their faith not be sustained. Peter knew that he was being sustained to persevere because Jesus told him, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Don't you think Peter held on to that? I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Finally, to persevere. So to persevere, be guarded in Christ, be growing in Christ, and to persevere, be glorifying Christ. Look what it says there at the end of verse 18. He says, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is how Peter ends his letter to these persecuted believers who need to persevere until the end. He says, to him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter's letter is filled with a theology of the glory of Christ and the promise of his coming. So what I want to do now is just let's go back through First Peter, Second Peter just a little bit so you can see this theology of the glory of Jesus. Go back to chapter 1. Flip back to chapter 1. Look at verse 3 and following. Speaking of Jesus, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. This is why God gives us His Word, so that we can persevere, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world through, descent, through sinful desire. And he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now listen to this. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. That's why we have to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So we'll, we'll be fruitful. We'll have a foundation. Now, skip down again to verse 16. Just go down to verse 16 right there. This theology of glory. He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, of his glory. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That's him speaking of the transfiguration, by the way. 
We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven and were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Now skip over to chapter 3 and look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. Connect this together. We're waiting on the day that the morning star dawns and we see his glory again. And then in chapter 3, verse 12, he says this. He says, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Until that day comes, until that day comes, we persevere by glorifying Jesus. If we are not living for the day, we will see Christ. Hear me. If we're not living for the day, we will see Christ. Then we are not longing for Him or loving Him or growing in Him as we should. And for those that walk away from Jesus, those who do not persevere, they leave because they do not love Him or long for the day that they will see Him. That's why Paul Peter is telling them, you need to know Christ is coming and you need to live accordingly. So, in order for us to persevere, we must live for the glory of Jesus and long to see Him in His glory on that day. Now, I would be remiss on Father's Day not to take a moment to speak as to why this text matters in our homes. So I want to just take a moment to speak to my fathers and grandfathers here and those that are serving as fathers or maybe even single mothers is why this matters in your home as you seek to be the spiritual leader in your situation. As parents, fathers, and mothers, we have a, we have a particular duty to guard our homes and especially the spiritual health of our children. We need to guard the deposit of the gospel given to us for the sake of our children. We need to protect them from the errors of legalism on one side and from licentiousness and other anti-gospel teachings on the other that surround us in our culture. Listen, our culture, if you are not training your children, our culture is. Watch the news, watch the television. They are trying to win the hearts and minds of your children. And as a parent, you have a particular duty to guard the hearts and minds of our children. So, listen, we should desire the spiritual perseverance of our children. We have to guard them. Secondly, parents, fathers, we should lead by example in the arena of spiritual growth and maturity for our children. We should model for our children the importance of God's Word by reading it and sharing it with our children. We should pray with our children and for our children about their spiritual growth. If you wonder how to do that, then take Jesus' own prayer for Peter as your example. Pray that your children's faith will not fail. And tell your children, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Because the world's going to pressure them and press in on them to see if it can squeeze it out of them. And finally, fathers, parents, you should lead your family in worshiping and glorifying Jesus. 
You should be guarded, you should be growing, and you should be glorifying Jesus. Now hear me, I want to be very clear about this. I am not just talking about Sunday mornings. I think we do it a disservice to say we're coming to worship when everything in life is worship. Everything in life is worship. Everything in life is worship. When I get up in the morning and eat breakfast, that's worship. When I'm watching television, that is worship. When I am out on the baseball field or on the ball field, it is worship. The question is, what am I worshiping? It is all worship. That should be understood. So I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings. That, though, though that should be understood, you should lead them here in joyful worship. I'm particularly talking about leading your family to understand that everything they do, whether it's work, play, rest, exercise, school, relationships, difficulty, stress, no matter what they're facing, it is to be done for the glory of Jesus. And as Paul says in Romans, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. And I want to say that fathers, parents, you must lead by example in living for the glory of King Jesus. Because I know one thing, you can't fool your children. They know what you love and they know what you don't love. And they know what you care about and they know what you don't care about. So make sure that they know most of all, out of everything else, that you love Jesus. Adam, if you teach your children nothing else, teach them that you love Jesus and belong to him and that no matter how difficult this life is, he is worth following. Listen, when the world presses in on me and there's all these things flying at me, all I, can, all I have is the foundation of I belong to Jesus and I'm going to follow him. I'm gonna, I belong to Jesus and I'm going to follow him. So fathers, be guarded, be growing. And be glorifying Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that this morning has been challenging and encouraging. And that, Father, we've taken that we'll take these principles of perseverance to heart. That as Jesus, as you hold us fast, that you would strengthen us and encourage us and establish us. So that we don't have wobbly foundations. But, Father, that we persevere, persevere guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus through his word, and Father, glorifying Christ with everything that is in us each day. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.